I ask uh, each and every one of us here this morning to pray and just ask the Lord to have his way in this service this morning. Uh, I think everybody is, is beginning to feel in our world today that uh, the coming of Christ must be just around the corner. And the book of Revelation uh, concludes with this thought, even so, come Lord Jesus. And that ought to be the plea in the heart of God's children all over the world as we look for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the book of Revelation is given to help us in preparation for that return. We believe the next major event is going to be the trumpet and the rapture and God's children called up hither into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, what an exciting time. I think we are uh, living in that generation. We're witnessing the fulfillment of these events before our very eyes. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. It's the section of scripture we preached uh, on last Sunday morning. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, and this is going to be our focus this morning, nevertheless, the Lord said to this church, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Again, verse 4 is going to be our major focus this morning, thou has left thy first love. Would you join me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence in this place. We've just heard this song, no one else can do what God can do. There's nobody else that can take a sinful heart and make it clean. There's nobody else that can save a soul. There's nobody else that can set the captive free. There's nobody else that can change a life. God, we're looking to you this morning, and we need you. Well, there's somebody here today that maybe you brought here, and you've been knocking, speaking, touching their life. And they need to be saved, and they long to be saved. And Lord, today... Could that be settled forever in that heart? Or there's a child of yours today that at one time loved you and one time was faithful to you, but somehow, just now, going through the motions, oh God, would you work on that heart and warm that heart again, renew that spirit of work in that heart. God will give you the praise and the glory. Have your way in this service, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. And you may be seated this morning. 
Again, our focus this morning is going to be upon that statement in verse number four we preached concerning the church of Ephesus last week. As we saw, the, the church of Ephesus was a prominent church of the first century. Uh, this particular city and church were located in Asia. It's modern-day Turkey today. Uh, this church was started by Paul the Apostle during his third missionary journey. You can read about the, the foundation of this church in the book of Acts, chapter number 19. Uh, we know that this church, uh, in its early days, had a tremendous ministry and we know that from this church, the gospel spread to all the of Asia, so that all the of Asia heard the word of God, had an opportunity uh, to repent and turn to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as, as the Lord uh, gives us these letters to the seven churches here in Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, it's, it's important as you, as you read through this, it's very evident that these churches were important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about this last week. There were seven specific local churches, churches just like Valley Bible Baptist Church. Uh, they're churches that assembled together just as we do. That's uh, really a church is an assembly. A church is not a universal organism. A church is a, an assembly, a local assembly of baptized believers who are banded together uh, for the purpose of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read of the churches that the Lord Jesus is the head of the church, that he walks in the midst of his churches. And that local church, that local assembly is very important to the Lord Jesus. It ought to be important to Christians. And it's my conviction, as we've said many times, that every born-again child of God needs a local church. Every born-again child of God needs an assembly, a place where you assemble together uh, with the fellowship of the saints, together uh, in the Word of God, trained and taught the Word of God, growing in the Word of God. Now, God chose these seven specific churches. He could have used a multitude of other churches. When John gave us the book of Revelation, there were many, many churches in this region. There were many other churches in Galilee, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem. But God chose these seven specific churches. The book of Revelation is a prophetic book. And I believe that these seven churches represent seven periods of church history. Uh, starting with the churches of the first century, they're represented by this church at Ephesus. Uh, these churches were on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they literally spread the gospel to their known part of the world. They planted churches wherever they went. Uh, the church age is going to culminate in the rapture. We said that's the next major event. And we look for that trumpet, even so, come Lord Jesus. We, we look for and we pray for that time when Jesus uh, will come again for his children and the dead in Christ will rise and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Now the final church age is represented by the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 13 verses 14 through 22 and that is the lukewarm church represents the attitudes of local churches uh, basically before the Lord uh, Jesus returns and at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that every church has to be lukewarm. And that's why we're preaching through this because I, I want Valley Bible Baptist to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and awaiting the return of Jesus. Now, not only do these churches, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, represent seven specific churches, uh, seven periods of church history, 
But these are seven letters that will apply to churches throughout the ages. They're important messages for Valley Bible Baptist Church. And the message to the church at Ephesus is very important for you and I here this morning. Now, last week we dealt with the positive aspects of this church. Much positive said about this church is the commendation from the Lord Jesus to this church. Look at verse number two. Uh, this was a hard-working church. The Lord says of this church, I know thy works and thy labor. This church was faithful in its witness for Jesus. As we mentioned, the gospel spread from this church throughout all of Asia. Asia. Uh, this church was faithful in discipling its converts. Uh, the work of God is often related to sowing and reaping. I'm thankful for the privilege of having been raised on a farm. And I learned that principle, what you sow is what you reap. And I learned the principle that uh, you sow much, you reap much. You sow little, you reap little. And it's evident that this church was a church that sowed the Word of God. They were that faithful uh, sower of God's Word, planting the seed in all of their region. And so it was a hard-working church. It was an enduring church. In verse number 2, he mentions thy patience. And you go to verse 3, and has borne, has patience for my name's sake, has labored, has not fainted. Now, this church continued laboring despite the difficulties. As you go back to Acts chapter 19, uh, they faced much opposition from idolaters. Uh, Ephesus was the center of the worship of the goddess Diana. And uh, there was a lot of opposition that came from this cult towards Christians. In fact, many Christians came out of that idolatry. They were born again. They were set free, set free from that bondage. And often relatives and friends would persecute, and you found the same thing. Many of you, when you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, you were disowned by family. You were mocked by family or by co-workers or relatives. That church of Ephesus endured such things, but they continued faithfully, and that's what patience means. It's faithful endurance despite the obstacles. Now, verse number two speaks of this church that it was doctrinally sound. Uh, Thou hast tried them, in verse two, which say they are apostles and are not, hast found them liars. Now, many in that day claimed the title apostle. But this church would discern the truth, found that many of them were deceivers. Uh, this church understood the importance of doctrinal purity. And as we spoke last week, doctrine is a foundation. What you believe is very important because what you believe and the foundation you build upon is going to determine the direction of your life. And so doctrine is crucial. It's foundational. And this church compared the teachings and the teachers to the Word of God. And everything that did not match God's Word, they tossed it aside. And I would encourage you, as we near the return of Jesus Christ, uh, you must study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. Very important to know what you believe and why you believe it. Now you notice in verse number 6 concerning this doctrinal integrity. He said, This thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which thing I also hate. 
Now, there are many that believe the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is related back to Nicholas, one of the first deacons in the church in Jerusalem. And history taught that uh, he began to uh, teach some heresy. Uh, he taught that Christianity could mix with paganism and with the occultism, but that was rejected by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, God tells us, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, will walk in them, I will be their God, they shall be my people. And then the Lord says, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And so it's evident God calls his children to holiness, to purity, to separation. You cannot mix the things of God with the things of God of the world. And so it's important to hold to doctrinal integrity, and I believe even more so as we approach the return of Jesus Christ. What you believe, what you build upon is essential, it's crucial. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul warned Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own loss shall they heap to themselves teachers Having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables. And that's definitely the case of our day. See, I'm thoroughly convinced that there is a generation today being prepared for the worship of the Antichrist. There's a generation that is rejecting truth. And the Bible says that when men reject the truth, and the truth is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and salvation is in Christ and Christ alone, and when that truth is rejected, then the door of deception is opened, and thus a generation will take the mark of the beast, and a generation will follow the Antichrist, and a generation deceived and led straight to the pits of hell. So truth is foundational as we approach the return of Jesus Christ. It's important for local churches to remain true to the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 15, I believe it is, maybe verse 5, says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. This church at Ephesus had a lot going for it. It was a hard-working church. It was a church that endured hardships. It was a church that had doctrinal purity, and those things were good, and those things were right, and those things should be followed. But verse number four, the Lord gave his rebuke, his condemnation of this church. He said, nevertheless, despite all of these good things, he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. See, as the Lord walked in the midst of his churches, he knows all things, nothing hidden from the Lord. He knows the heart. See, God goes beyond the activity and the outside, but he goes to the very heart of the matter. And as the Lord looked at the heart of this church, there was one fatal flaw. This church did not love Jesus as it had once loved the Lord. Somehow this church came to the place that it was 
simply going through the motions. There were Christians in this church that had once been on fire for the Lord and faithful to the things of God, but through time something happened and they became complacent in their service of the Lord Jesus. Their hearts began to grow cold in its love for the Lord Jesus. And that's why the Bible warns us, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Lord knows the heart this morning. Say, I can't hide my heart from God. And you can't hide your heart from God. He knows your heart. Now, as I take this thought this morning, thou hast left thy first love, and I, I want to give several thoughts here today that we can build upon. First of all, love is desired by God. See, God understands the importance of the heart. The Lord wants your heart this morning. He wants your heart above all things. He wants your heart above your service, above your money, uh, above you. He wants you this morning. He wants your heart. And he understands the importance of the heart in 2 Chronicles 16, verse number 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. It's so well illustrated in the life of Saul and David. God chose Saul to be the first king of Judah. When God looked upon that heart in the beginning, he saw a humble heart. And the Bible tells us that God gave to Saul another heart. He changed the heart of Saul. As you study the life of Saul, Saul was talented. He did well in the beginning. He stood a head and foot above the rest of the nation. And as they looked upon Saul, they saw a man that they could be proud was their king, a talented man. But something happened in the midst of his kingship. His heart was lifted up with pride. He became stubborn, rebellious, self-willed, disobedient. He took the things of God into his own hands. And God took the kingdom from Saul. The Lord made the statement to Saul, I've sought me out a man. After my own heart. God gave the kingdom to David. God saw in David a, a pure heart. He saw in David a heart of humility. Honesty. A heart of submission. A heart searching for and longing for God. And it was David that said, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. That was the heart of David. A man that loved the Lord and wanted God. See, God wants the heart above all things. As God looked on this church at Ephesus, he saw a heart that was wandering. It was a heart that was leaning the wrong direction. And the direction you lean is eventually the direction that you will fall. God knew where that would eventually lead in this church. Though this church was strong and they were working and laboring and uh, they were not discouraged, they were being faithful and though they were doctrinally pure, the Lord knew that when the heart begins to lean away, it won't be long till you lose that work ethic and it won't be long till you lose that doctrinal purity and it won't be long till you become discouraged. As goes, so, as goes the heart, so goes the life. Now God spoke to individuals in this church if you look at verse number 5, 
God is saying to those within this church, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Do the first works, he says, or else I will come unto thee quickly, will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And by the way, there's no church there in Ephesus today. There are only the ruins. Verse number 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him. That overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so the Lord spoke to individuals within this church, and it's evident that there were some who were church members, but they were not saved. And as the Lord speaks in verse number 7, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. And I was a church member many years before I was born again. I had been baptized, but I was not saved. And had I died, I would have split hell wide open. And one day the Lord spoke to my heart as he speaks to the members of this church. And you need to make certain your salvation and make certain that your hope is not in your church or your religion or your goodness or your effort. But your hope is in the blood that Jesus Christ shed upon the cross of Calvary and in that and that alone. And so he speaks to the members of this church, search that heart. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And to be an overcomer, the book of 1 John tells us an overcomer is simply one that is born of God. And the only way that you can eat of the tree of life is you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born of God. Now, there were others in this church that needed to remember. Looking back to that day when they were saved and to the excitement of that First faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord says, remember, you've wandered away from that. Though you're saved, you've gotten away and your heart has grown cold. And he says, remember where you've come from and repent. That means to have a turnabout or an about face and return to that first love. Uh, You have to make that choice to come back to the Lord. See, the Lord pleads this morning for our heart. He wants you. He loves you. He said the first and the great commandment is this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. He said the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he said these are the two commandments. And all the law is built upon those commandments. I alluded to this passage last week. But if you would turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. You see God pleads the heart and he pleads for your love in 1st Corinthians chapter 13 here Paul the apostle speaking to the church of Corinth said in verse number one though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me 
nothing. And here the Lord is saying to this church at Corinth, you might speak with tongues of men and of angels, but if it's not based upon love, you might be the greatest preacher. But if you're not preaching from a heart of love, he says you might have all faith so that you could move mountains, but if you have not the heart of love, it's nothing. You might give everything that you own to meet the needs of the poor and to give to missionaries across the world, but if it's not out of a heart of love, and the Lord knows the motives of the heart. He says it's not profitable. It's but sounding brass. It's but jingling and unworth are worthless before the Lord. See, love is desired by God. God wants our hearts. He deserves our hearts. His desire for the church at Ephesus went beyond their hard work and went beyond their labor of love and beyond their endurance and went beyond their doctrinal purity. And he said to that church, I want your hearts. I want that heart back. I want you. I want the love that you gave to me at one time. And every one of us is going to choose who and what we will serve. Love is desired by God. I want you to look at the next verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is defined by God. In verse number 4, he said, this is what love will do for you. This is why love is so important. He said, charity suffereth long. Uh, Love doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. And we're going to need that in the days ahead. He said, love is kind. It's thoughtful. He said, charity envieth not. In other words, love doesn't get jealous. We want to see others promoted. And love builds in the lives of others. In other words, love is not promoting self. But love is promoting others. And that's so clear. Love isn't proud. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It's not sinful. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It's not selfish. It seeketh not her own. And it doesn't react in anger. It's not easily provoked. And it always thinks the best. It thinketh not evil. And in verse number 7, it beareth all things. It believeth all things. It hopeth all things. Endureth all things. See, love is pure. It rejoiceth not in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. And love will endure when nothing else will. See, the only motive that will keep you faithful to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is your love for the Lord. Loving God. It's the love of the Lord that's going to keep you pure. It's the love of the Lord that will keep you in the right relationship with God. It's the love of the Lord that will keep you on fire for Jesus Christ. It's the love of the Lord that will keep you witnessing when all around you are rejecting the message we have taught through Jeremiah. What was it that kept Jeremiah going when his nation put him in a dungeon and rejected his message? I think it was simply that Jeremiah loved God more than he loved his own life. That's what love will do for you. Now, if you go with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number 2, we can see this definition lived out in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians, chapter 2, as we read of the Lord Jesus, in verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You can understand here how love was defined by Christ. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, the goal of Jesus was not to make himself great. The goal of Jesus was to glorify his Father and make his Father great. The goal of the Lord Jesus was not to make himself great, but was to make you great and to make myself great, to save us, to give us a home in heaven, to give us eternal life. He died to himself. He gave himself. He loved us deeper than we can ever imagine. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. It seems this church at Ephesus had this love at one time. See, there was a point where they gave themselves to Christ. And no sacrifice was too great for the Lord Jesus. There was a point they gave themselves to others, laying down their lives to spread the gospel through that region. And early chapters of the book of Acts shows this type of love in the early churches represented by this church at Ephesus. It was a love that sacrificed and gave everything for Jesus Christ. That's love desired by God, love defined by God. But what about love demonstrated to God? What is the Lord looking for? Let's give you some examples. Go to John 14 and verse 15. Love is demonstrated through obedience. If we love the Lord, we'll obey the Lord. In John 14, verse number 15, it's very clear. Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, Very clearly demonstrated in the life of Abraham. Genesis 12, God said, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Go to a land that I will show thee. The Bible says that Abraham obeyed God by faith, not knowing whither he went. Why did he do so? I, I believe Abraham in that obedience was saying, Lord, I love you than I, more than I love my job, more than I love herb, more than I love my family. I'm willing to obey you. Later in the life of Abraham, God blessed him with a son. God said, Abraham, I want you to take that son, thine only son, that son that you dearly love. I want you to take him to the place that I will show thee. And I want you there to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham obeyed God, and I believe in that obedience, Abraham was saying, God, I love you more than I love my son. I love you so much that I'm willing to obey you even when I don't understand you. If we love God, we'll obey God. We'll be willing to do whatever the Lord wants us. I was thinking about the love of a a new convert in Jesus. Maybe you remember how it was when you first got saved. God said, get baptized. And with joy, you took that step of obedience. And the Lord said, I I want you to be faithful in church. And with joy, you took that step of obedience. And the Lord said, I want you to read your Bible and study the Bible every day. And with joy, you began to open the Word of God. And the Word of God began to flood into your soul. And, And then the Lord said, I want you to begin to tithe. And with joy, you took that step of obedience and you began to tithe. And God said, I want you to witness and tell your friends about me. And and you couldn't hold it in. And you were so filled with the joy and the love of the Lord. You wanted everybody around you to know what Jesus had done for you. And you began to boldly witness for Jesus unashamed of Christ because you loved him. God began to deal with your heart about 
maybe some sinful habits and some things that were in your life. And you began to change the music you listened to and the places that you went. And you did it with joy because you loved the Lord. That's evidently the case with the church at Ephesus in those beginning years. But somehow they had waned from that absolute obedience. Love is demonstrated through obedience. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Love is demonstrated in single focus. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. The Lord says to his disciples, Lay not of yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He says in verse number 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here the Lord is calling for single focus and very similar thoughts in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And what the Lord is expressing, you cannot love the world and the Lord at the same time. You've got to make your choice as to what you will do. And if you were to go to the book of Acts chapter number 19, and you will find in the beginning years of this church at Ephesus that when they fell in love with the Lord, they brought all of their occultic books and they burned them. And there was a great sum of money as they burned these false gods to Diana. and They burned their occultic books. They were saying single, devotedly, we're giving ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other God, no other thing that will have a part in our life. We belong wholly to Jesus. That was evident in the church at Ephesus. The world and other things began to take their heart, however, at this point. And Jesus says, you've loved your first love. And he's challenging them again. You can't serve both. See, God warns of this danger. The children of Israel tried to serve both. We're in the book of Jeremiah. They hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that could hold no water. They turned from the living God to serve the idols of the world. King Solomon who at one point loved the Lord with all of his heart, committed, dedicated himself, began to love many strange women, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. He lost that single devotion. Paul's single focus, I think, was the key to his success. Paul said, I, this one thing I do, this one thing I do, I'm devoted to the Lord. I want to know him. I want to have him. I want to have his fellowship. He's my love. My heart, can you say that today? Maybe at one time you could, but something has taken your heart away. Love is demonstrated by a single focus. Love is also demonstrated with absolute surrender. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. He said, I've died to myself. I die daily. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And in the book of Luke chapter 9, Jesus exhorted, If any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And the Lord's not saying, I want you to hate your family. No, the Lord's saying, your love for me has to be so great that your love in comparison to others would seem as hatred. 
See, that's absolute surrender. He says, if you love me, then come after me daily and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. He said a disciple cannot be a disciple if he's not willing to forsake all. He's talking about absolute surrender. That's the love that Peter expressed when he said, Lo, we have left all and we have followed thee. If we love the Lord, see, our life will be in submission to the Lord. Our life will be submitted to his will, not my will. That's what happened with King Saul. He became self-willed, and it was no longer his will, but it's my will. And the difference with David is David said, Lord, I want your will, not my will. I want your purpose, not my purpose. See, that's the love that initially took the church at Ephesus throughout the known part of Asia. But as the Lord looked on that heart, he said, it's not where it used to be. Love is demonstrated by absolute surrender. Do you know our love of the Lord is also demonstrated in our relations to others? I don't have time to delve into all of the verses this morning, but if you were to go to the book of 1 John, you will find throughout the book of 1 John that if we love the Lord, we will love our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, it's very clear. You can't say on one hand that you love the Lord and hate your brother in Christ. He said if you love the Lord, you're going to love your brother. They're going to fit together hand in hand. And I'm just wondering if in this church in Ephesus, maybe there were not some conflicts that began to arise within fellow members of this church. And the Lord is saying you've got to set those differences aside and look to the greater cause and forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And serve that Lord out of that love. wonder if that's not what happened in Ephesus. Broken relationships that in pride and self-will they were not willing to deal with. And so the Lord said, I've got somewhat against you. You've left your first love. See, love is desired by God. He wants you. He wants your heart. He defined that love in his own life. He died and gave everything for us. That love is to be demonstrated to the Lord with our single focus, with our absolute surrender, with our relationships to one another. Valley Bible Baptist Church is the Lord walks in our midst. What does he see in you? Have you had that first love with Jesus? Have you been born again? You can be a church member, but not saved. Do you know the Lord? Has there been that time where, by faith, you've received the gift of Jesus, that gift and that gift alone, for your salvation. If you're depending upon this church or your baptism or your goodness to get you to heaven, you've got the wrong focus. And you must be saved. The Lord knocks. Maybe you've had that salvation, but if you left that first love, do you remember that time, that excitement when you first came to Jesus? Oh, what a difference 
It was then. And the Lord calls you to remember that, to repent, to return, just to be honest with him today. Said it many times, and as we're going through the book of Revelation, I believe Jesus is coming back soon. I believe the days ahead may be difficult days and costly days for Christians. So you're going to need the church more than ever before. It's going to be difficult, costly. I think we're headed to days it's going to cost you something to serve Jesus. And only a deep love for Jesus is going to keep you on track. See, it's only this full surrender, this love of the Lord, this love that is committed to Christ no matter what. It's the only thing that's going to keep you going. A love for the Lord is going to keep you faithful. A love for the Lord will keep you pure. A love of the Lord will keep you steadfast. Where are you today? The Lord knows your heart. I can hide from you. You can hide from me. But none of us can hide from Jesus. He has eyes that pierce into the depths of the heart this morning. With their heads bowed.